Now, the Greek philosopher uh, Socrates uh, says the unexamined life is not worth living. Uh, the point he was making is that thinking and living are bound tightly together, aren't they? Em- they say that empty minds give birth to empty hearts and empty lives. We need to be thinking people. We need to be thinking people. And the most important question we need to think about uh, is this in life, I think, is this. What is life? What is life like? And how should we live it? I think that's the most important question we should be thinking about. What is life like? And how should we live it? The problem is that life is short and busy, of course, isn't it? Uh, we hardly have any time nowadays to think about life. In fact, as I was coming here and picking up Brother Michael this morning and we're chatting, we're talking about that very thing, that life is very busy and we don't really have time to slow down and think about it. And the problem is not new, actually. Uh, the early church father, Basil the Great, writing in the third century, said this. It sounds very modern. He said this. He says, life runs as a continuous current which carries us unconsciously along with it. We sleep, and as we do, our brief space of time silently flies over our heads. And then we wake up to a thousand cares, and we are struggling with them. And while we are struggling with them, life pursues its ever-rapid course. Life is busy. And it's designed, I guess, by the world system to keep us not thinking about the issues that matter. And the Lord knows that we are too busy to think about life. And that is why he often stops us in our tracks. He causes us to pause. Our bro- my brother and friend, Ezra Muoz, the pastor at Lee Grave, calls these moments when we pause and think, seller moments, when God just says stop. Think about life. And he uses difficult circumstances in life to cause us to think and pause about life. Circumstances like the recent death of our dear sister John. Her passing into heavenly glory is painful for us. And yet it is God's precious gift, a gracious gift of grace, inviting us who have known sister John who attend this fellowship, to consider our own lives, to ponder over them, to ask that question, what are we living for? And where are we headed? And so I want to accept the Lord's invitation this morning to help us answer that question. What is life like? And how should we live it? And to help us answer this question, please look with me there at Job 14, verse 1 to 2, because I think Job answers this question. These verses summarize life, what life is, and how we should live it. There are two answers Job gives us here. And the first answer in your outline is that Job wants us to understand that life is burdensome. Life is burdensome. That is life. Life is full of trouble. Now, one of my favorite actors is Denzel Washington. And in one of his films, which I'll leave you to guess, he says this. A man once told me that you step out of your door in the morning and you're already in trouble. Now, I think that the great Denzel 
got that from, from this passage. Job had already taught us that lesson, didn't he? Look at verse 1 there in Job. Man who is born of a woman is fewer of days and full of trouble. Job is saying as long as we have breath in life, in our life, our life and our troubles are married together. Suffering is our unfriendly shadow that follows us wherever we go. Life is full of trouble, says Job. Suffering is that unwanted constant visitor who knocks on the door and announced. Today you feel healthy. You're feeling very healthy today. But tomorrow, you may walk into an hospital for a routine health check. Perhaps the GP is open to see you. There's a 50% chance now. The GPs aren't always open. But suppose you make the other 50%. You walk in there. The GP may give you a terrible diagnosis which may send you straight to ICU for a serious surgery. Tomorrow. Today your job looks safe, doesn't it? But tomorrow the government may tell you there's another variant. And they may say, as they have said to healthcare professionals, no job, no job, no job. I can never work out which way it is. Feels like bored, doesn't it? No job, no job. But no job, no job. And all of a sudden, you lose your job. That's it. Your marriage could be going very well. And everybody in the church thinks you are a golden couple. But tomorrow you may wake up and discover that your wife perhaps has an addiction that completely turns your marriage upside down. That's life. Seller moments. Unexpected moments of suffering. Job says here, doesn't it? Man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. He's saying life is burdensome. We have to ask, don't we? Because Job doesn't tell us. Why is life full of trouble? Because we know from the teaching of Scripture that God made the world perfect without sin and suffering. And yet we rebelled against Him. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And as a result, the garden has become the wilderness. The whole world, you see, is under the wrath and judgment of God. Our sin means that we are now a cursed people living in a cursed world. But you know what's amazing? Amazingly, the Bible tells us that life being burdensome is also God's mercy to you and I. Suffering is an evangelist. God allows us to suffer to remind us that we have all rebelled against him and are under his severe judgment. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures and speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. You see, the unbeliever cannot make sense of suffering. As a pastor, I've seen people, uh, family members try to console, who are unbelievers trying to console 
a loved one who's lost someone. And what I've discovered is that non-believers have nothing to say about suffering. I hear their words. Careful, as a pastor, you've got to hear. I hear their words and I see that they have nothing to say. The most that the non-believers say is that they can say about suffering, I hear them say, is that suffering helps us to become better people. That's the most they can say. But if you ask them, how does suffering help a dead infant become a better person? They cannot tell you that. They have no way of making sense of death. Only the Bible has an answer to all suffering we experience. Because what the Bible teaches us is this. It teaches us that our suffering has meaning and purpose. No matter how painful it is, it has meaning and purpose. Why? Because we suffer under God's control. When Job tells us here that life is burdensome, we must remember that Job has already told us earlier that his suffering has come from God. Look at Job 13 verse 15, just a chapter before that. Very famous verse, Job 13 verse 15. It says this, Though he, that is God, slay me, I will up in him. Yet, I will argue my ways to his face. Job is saying this. Look, what Job is saying is this. Every pain, every trial, every attack, every disappointment, every illness, every death, all of it is all a finger pointing us to hope in God. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Suffering is saying to us, you are a sinner living in a world under judgment, and the world has no answer to that. The world cannot fulfill you. Let your suffering, therefore, make you hope in him. There is grace in suffering. And the grace of suffering is that it is a vehicle sent by our loving God to escort us to him. And as we look to God through the lens of the Bible, what do we see about suffering? What do we see? We see life is a burden, don't we? But we also see that we do not have to carry the burden of life alone. We see that the true God has come to us in Jesus Christ to be our burden bearer. You see, many religions in the world promise us that God will protect us from evil in the world. Many religions say that. But only in Jesus do we see God come down and suffer with us. You see, the the, the God of the Bible does not ride above the storms of our suffering. You know, God is not like our human landlords. He's not a landlord who says he cares about us, he's going to take care of the bills, but he would never live with us. He lives in a house somewhere in south of France. God is not like that. Our God, the Bible says, entered this world 2,000 years ago through the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born as one of us and he lived a sinless life and suffered 
through life and then suffered on the cross as one of us. Jesus is God writing himself into the story of our human suffering. That's why there's nothing like the Bible. We were speaking to a young lady yesterday, isn't it, Grace? She says, I have never had this before. Because there's nothing like it. This is the truth. A God who comes down, who wears our flesh and blood, fully God, fully man, who willingly joins himself to your suffering. He came to feel your pain, to be touched by your tears and fears, to hold your heavy heart in his heart, to carry your wounds in his flesh. That's the Bible. That's Jesus. And if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus this morning, if you're truly trusting in him, you can be sure that whatever you're going through, God is not blind to the suffering in your life. God is not blind to the burden of your life, you see, because he has come to share in your suffering in Christ. But beloved, it is more than that. It is, that's just the beginning. Our Lord Jesus suffered on earth, not simply to identify with our suffering, he suffered to carry the burden of suffering for us. And he did this, you see, by dealing with the biggest problem we have in life. Our sin against God is the biggest problem. Your suffering is terrible, but it's not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is sin. And on the cross, our Lord Jesus suffered the wrath of God in your place. We know our Lord Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was betrayed, flogged, insulted, crucified, naked in shame for us. We know that. And yet that does not even begin to explain or describe what took place on that cross. It does not even begin to explain the depth of horror of what took place on the cross during those three hours when the sun fled in horror. When the earth was darkened at 12 p.m. Because you see, at that point, when the earth was darkened, the Bible tells us, you know, God the Father, as it were, inflicted omnipotent blows on the soul of our Lord Jesus. He poured on him his full wrath and judgment on Christ. He poured the full wrath and judgment for your sin and your filth. He crushed his own son for you. On the cross. Or the hell that you and I deserve. And because of the punishment of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his heavenly father. All who truly trust in Jesus. Have a new life with God. And because we have this new life with God through Christ. We have every reason beloved. Listen to me. We have every reason to rejoice in Christ. No matter how burdensome our life gets. Oh beloved. Look. Think afresh with me about the suffering of Jesus. Think of his tears in Gethsemane. Think of his mockery and beatings by the temple guards. Right? 
Look at Christ there, shackled in that circle of hate, um, surrounded by the Roman soldiers. Look at him as they put that crown of thorns on his head, right? As they scourge his sinless body. See Jesus bleeding there. Hear the cries of agony as our Lord Jesus Christ is, is led up that hill of Golgotha, right? I see him there hanging on the cross, crucified with nails, as it were. Hear the taunts from the chief priests as Christ bleeds and cries in agony on that cruel cross. See him in darkness as he reads there for three hours under the terrible wrath of God. All of that, he did it for you. He did it for you. He did it for you. Every strike against his skin was for you. Every spit in his face was for you. Every drop of blood was for you. Every nail, he suffered it for you. He did it because of you. If you're trusting in him, he did it because he loved you before the foundation of the world. He chose you before the ages began and he came on a specific mission for you, his elect. He suffered to bring you home to him. You see, life is burdensome, Job says. But praise God that in Christ we have every reason to rejoice no matter the depth of suffering we go through because we never suffer alone. God in Christ is now our burden bearer. You know, when Job was going through trouble, his greatest hope is that one day God would come among us and Job would see him. That was his hope. Job 19, isn't it? Look at Job 19. Verse 25 to 26. Job says that. He says this. For I know that my Redeemer lives. Amen. I know my Redeemer lives. And at last he will stand upon where? The earth. And listen to this. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. On the earth. Job longed for God to come. And we know he has come in Jesus as our great redeemer. To save us from sin and to bear our burdens in this troubled world. And oh beloved, because we have such a great burden bearer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not need to carry our burdens anymore. Yes, we will suffer. But even as we are suffering, we can rely on him to carry us with that suffering. We don't have to depend on us. Let us come to Jesus and surrender and keep on surrendering to him in prayer. Let us ask Jesus to carry the burdens for us, to, to help us in his power and strength. Perhaps as you sit here this morning, you are going through the burden of a fractured relationship in your family. 
Or maybe there's a burden, uh, there's a fractured relationship uh, at work. Maybe you are battling against anxiety about the future, you're just nervous, you're worried about a lot of things. Or perhaps if you came here this morning, you just feel perpetually low uh, about life in general. You're just finding life heavy, too much to do. You're feeling exhausted. And, or perhaps the pressures of school are getting to you, you're just really worried about your school situation. Or maybe there's something at home. Or if you're like me, you're just tired of COVID. You're tired of what's going on. Every dictate from Mr. Boris and Co. You just had enough. And of course, as a church, all of us here are facing the trouble of sickness and death. As a church, we're grieving over the sudden loss of our dear sister. Yes, she was unwell for a while, but it shocked me that she passed away so at the time she did. The word of God is reminding us here that life is burdensome. That's life. But the good news is that if we are in Christ, if you are truly trusting in Christ this morning, we are, you are not facing life alone. Our Lord is more than equipped, more than equipped to care for you. So do not pull yourself by the bootstrap of life. Let us take all our suffering to him for his comfort and strength. And most importantly, we must never forget that no matter how hard our life gets, if we truly belong to Christ, our trials are a preparation for a glorious eternity with God. And this leads us to the second truth Job tells us here, which I just want to expand for us uh, in a few minutes. The first truth we learn here is that life is burdensome, isn't it? The second truth Job wants us to understand, all of us here, is that life is brief. brief. It is short. You see, when we compare our lives to eternity, our years in this world are just like a few days. And this is the point Job is making in this verse. Look at verse 1 to 2 again. Man who is born of a woman is fewer of days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He comes out like a flower and withers. The image here is of a flower, isn't it? That grows only for a while and then it is sucked out of life. Job wants us to understand, you see, that death comes to all of us. You can defy gravity, but not the grave. There will come a point when your heart will stop beating. Your brain will not think anymore. Your eyes will close never to open. You will be pronounced dead. People will start speaking about you in the past tense. It, young people, listen to me. This may not necessarily come 10 years down the line or 20 years. It could come right this afternoon as you are in the car driving home. You don't know when that moment will come. And after that happens, we may start speaking about you in past tense in the church. She was like this. She was like that. And we'll be busy arranging, speaking to the coroners and arranging as we're doing for our dear sister, barriers and so forth. Death 
It's not something that you can arrange by appointment. It can come anytime. And death has no favorites. The richest and the poorest in society all live in death's shadow. The Nobel Prize winner and the pro prostitute will go in a similar coffin. The mother and the infant, the old man and the teenager, the funeral directors and the poor bearers, they are all under the firm grip and power of death. Death does not spare anyone. And when we compare our journey, says, says Job, when we compare our journey from the womb to the tomb to the vastness of eternity, our life is short, a blip. There'll be a time here when people won't even remember you, that she was around. He comes out like a flower and with us. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Life is short. And we need to pause there for isn't it, and ask ourselves. Let me ask you. Is it good or bad that life is short? Well, the answer is it depends. It depends on where you're going when you die. Our life on earth is short, but it is not the end of life. You are not just DNA. You are not just a body. Each one of us here has a soul inside them. This is the real you. Your body is the garment to the soul. And so, when you die, your body dies. But your soul lives on beyond death. This means your focus must be on your eternity because you are going to spend the rest of your life in eternity. So the most important question you must ask yourself this morning, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? Where are you going next? Do you know? If you, if you die this afternoon, where are you going to go? Are you going to heaven? Or are you going straight to suffer in hell? Now, many of us are quick to say, I'm going to heaven. That's the answer. I have never met anyone when I've asked them who told me I'm going to hell. I mean, once or twice, some people say that as a joke, but it's rare. Nearly most people I speak to, they say, I'm going to heaven. And I'm sure that's your answer. But think about that carefully for a minute. What makes you sure God will welcome you in heaven? What's your basis? If your answer is that you're going to heaven because God forgives anyone, or you have attended church your whole life, or you are a good Christian, or your mom is a good Christian, or you have said the sinner's prayer at some point in your life, or you are baptized, if that's your answer, then I'm sorry, you are seriously mistaken. The truth is that your destination is not heaven. It is everlasting punishment in hell forever. Heaven is only for people who have reached the point of accepting that they are not fit to go to heaven. Because they are wretched sinners. Heaven is only for people who have placed themselves totally at the mercy of God as sinners. That they are only trusting in Jesus to save them from sin. 
A heaven is only for people who have truly repented. And, and God has given them a brand new heart. So their lives now show a clear break from sin. They have, the, the direction of their living has changed. They are now living for him. Listen to me very carefully. Look, you may cry about your sin. You may come to church. You may even put money in the offering box. But as long as you hug your sins tight, you are not born again. Because you have no genuine repentance. And your end is eternal destruction. So let me ask you, are you truly trusting this morning in the death of Jesus to save you from sin? Do you have a growing evidence of a truly transformed life? Would you say with me that you have received a new heart from God? Would you say you have a longing for Jesus? Do you yearn to be like him? Would you say his priorities are increasingly your priorities? Well, if the answer is no, is then come to Jesus, beloved. Come to Jesus now, this morning. Surrender your life to him now. Ask him to forgive your sin. Forget about how, long, how much mileage you've clocked in church. Settle your eternity with him now. The future is rushing towards you at breakneck speed. No matter how young you feel, you cannot afford to leave this issue aside. You must settle it now. Dear friends, God loves you. And he has come in Jesus to shed his blood for you. To save you from the wrath of God that awaits you when you die. God has no pleasure in your eternal suffering. He wants you to escape the terrible punishment in hell. That is why our Lord Jesus suffered on that Roman cross, isn't it? Christ died to take on himself the full wrath of God for you to shelter you from God's wrath. If you truly repent of your sin and trust in him, he will save you from the everlasting flames of hell. So cry out to him this morning. Repent of your sin and God will forgive you and give you a new life in his kingdom. Please don't continue galloping towards hell. If you truly refuse to surrender your life to Jesus, you are making a conscious choice to bear the full weight of God's eternal punishment for your sin. And for what? And for what? Acceptance from friends? A job? A relationship? You, tra you trade eternity for that? Come to him now. Repent of your sin. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You and I are too small to bear the punishment of God in hell. So turn to him now. Now I've spoken to you at length because I haven't preached here for seven weeks. So I'm just catching up. So bear with me just for a minute. Because I've got something to say to those of us who are trusting in Jesus. What about those of us who are already truly trusting in Jesus? Well, for us, because the question was, does it matter if life, you know, what, you know, does it matter? <laughs> is it good news if life is short? And the answer was, it depends. It's bad news. 
if you don't trust in Jesus. But if you trust in Jesus, it is good news. Life is short. Amazing news. Why is that? Well, because this world is not our home. And from the day we trust in Jesus, our heart starts to yearn to be with Jesus. To see his glorious face. All true children of God, you see, long to see their father in heaven. We have a longing to, 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 to see the glorious face of Christ, our Lord. We have a longing to, and we groan to be with Jesus, our best friend. To be delivered from the sins of this world. We long to be freed from the pain and tears of life. We long to live in a world without sin. We are tired of sinning every day. And you know, we're tired of repenting today and sinning tomorrow. We're tired of the evil we see in society. The hardness of people's hearts. It tires us, doesn't it? The social chaos. I have holy tiredness. I long to be with Jesus. To see his face. Oh, and what a joy it will be to gaze on Christ. To wonder at him who is God and man. The one person with two separate natures sitting in perfect unity together. To feast our eyes on him, on his body, where infinity sits with finitude. Eternity shares life with the temporal. To look at a body in whose glory coexists with humanity. Oh, the God man. Christ, our Savior, our Shepherd, our Brother, our Prophet, our Priest, and our King, our loving and never failing friend, our joy without end. The immortal logos of God the Father, as Clement called him. It would be amazing to see him. And if you're trusting in Jesus, this surely is your desire as well. You see, for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, like our dear sister John, the end of life is not a tragedy. It is a promotion to heaven. Thomas Brooks says, a believer's dying day is his resting day. It is our rest from sin, rest from sorrow, rest from afflictions, temptations, opposition, and persecutions. The world, Thomas Brooks says, the world was never meant to be our home. And then he says this, Arise, Christian, for this is not your resting place. You are like Noah's dove. You cannot rest but in the ark. You see, when we reach the end of human life and put off this glorious body of suffering, we shall have a new heaven reality in the glorious presence of Jesus. But that is only the beginning. Because one day we shall be raised physically from the dead and we shall put on a new glorious body like Jesus. And Christ will welcome us into the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells and we will live with him forever in this new world. No more sin. No more pain. No more death. No more separation, brother. No more separation. All the former things will pass away because he's coming to make all things new. See, our life on earth is burdensome and brief, isn't it? But praise God it is brief. 
Because we have in Christ a wonderful future. So let us not all tie to the things of this world. Job here is saying to us, our relationships, our jobs, our hobbies, our money, our reputation, all of these things we put ahead of Christ will soon pass away. They will be no more. Man who is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He dies, he flees like a shadow and continues not. So let us surrender it all now to Jesus. Let us live as people who soon meet Christ. And let us listen carefully to just a final quote I want to leave you from William Grimshaw who said this. He said this, When I come to die, I shall have my greatest grief and my greatest joy. Why? My greatest grief because I've done so little for the Lord Jesus Christ. I've done so little for the Lord Jesus Christ. But I shall have my greatest joy because Jesus has done so much for me. And then he says this, my last words shall be, here goes an unprofitable servant. Beloved, a useless life is an early death. A useless life is an early death. So resolve now to give all the time you have now left to Christ. Resolve to put Christ in everything. What is life? Well, that is the true meaning of life. Christ first. Amen.